Hello and welcome to the Queer Thesperience. I am your host, Casper Oliver. I use they, them, and he, him pronouns. I am a non-binary, asexual, uh, podcaster, entertainer, actor, anything I can get my grubby hands onto nowadays is what I get into. And today I am joined by someone from across the pond, which is always very exciting. If you could please introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Emma Goswell. I use she, her pronouns. I identify as a lesbian. And um, I guess a little bit about me. I'm currently living in Manchester, England, um, a little place north of Manchester at the moment called Rochdale. And I, for the last ooh, 15, 20 years, I think, I've been a broadcaster. So working, I've been a broadcast journalist doing news bulletins. I've been a producer for the BBC. And I've been a presenter for the BBC and the world's biggest um, LGBT radio station, Gadio. Which is why I reached out to you because I thought that was absolutely fascinating. Uh, mm. I discovered Emma because of your um, podcast, uh, Coming Out Stories, where you have people come and share their stories. And it's like, oh, it, it's kind of similar to uh, just kind of what this podcast is about as well. So I wanted to hear about your experiences with running a project like that so the funny thing is about that entire project is everyone assumes that it was my idea because you know I do have some good ideas but this wasn't one of them actually so ironically this was a straight friend of mine's idea hmm. and what happened about three years ago I left my current girlfriend didn't have anywhere to live so I ended up living in her in her house I was I was referred to by another friend as the lesbian in the loft so. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, Emma, because she was really into podcasting. Anyway, so I moved in with her and, you know, with her husband, two kids, three cats and a husky. Oh, wow. And she said, Emma, I think you should do a podcast about people's coming out stories. And I actually said, oh, Sam, I don't know. It's like, does anyone want to hear my coming out story? You know, is that a bit passe? Is anyone really going to be interested? And I had to eat my words because you know, she convinced me it would be a great idea for a podcast. And it turns out it was. And, I, you know, I've been lucky enough to speak to people from all over the world and hear the most incredible stories. And it turns out she was right. They are fascinating. And, you know, in terms of delving into history, the stories that people tell me from when they came out in maybe the 1960s and 1970s, they're almost as harrowing. You know, the ones that I hear now are almost just as harrowing and heartbreaking and heart-wrenching and, and emotional as the ones back then. So I don't think anything's changed. So actually, it was a great idea for the podcast. And I, and I have to, if I had to admit hand on heart, she was right and I was wrong. Which is never a fun thing to admit, but by God, when someone's right, yeah, they're, they're exactly. right. <laughs> and not only that, she had a recording studio in her basement. So, you know, it all worked out quite well for the first, for that year that I lived with her. And then um, we, we, we sort of work from across the pond now. So funnily enough, she then up sticks from Manchester and moved to Phoenix, Arizona. Wow, that's a so move. She sort of edits and produces the podcast from there. But, you know, thanks to the wonder of technology, Casper, as you know. Yeah. <laughs> you can do projects for people across the world, can't you? Yeah. It's like, hey, uh, this would work well. Let's talk. Oh, there's like a six hour time difference. Eh. Yeah, it's your morning and it's my evening. I've got my, what you can't see on the on the Zoom call is I've got my jogging bottoms on the bottom. I'm about to go for my evening run. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I am starting the day and you're wrapping up the day. I think <laughs> on both on good notes, I hope. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. So, um, so you've been doing this for, you said about three years now? 
Yeah, something like that. I think we started it at about 2018. So yeah, that would be coming up to like three years, wouldn't it? Yeah. So I probably, I think I've interviewed about 60 people so far. Originally we started as a weekly podcast and then moved to fortnightly because that was a bit, bit more doable really. Yeah. It's a bit much to do things weekly. This originally was weekly and then I moved it to bi-weekly for the same reason. I was like, no. (laughs) too much exactly exactly and it's not that there's a shortage of stories out there it's hilarious people always say to me well generally straight cisgender people say to me but where do you find all the people like lgbt people are like really hidden and you have to go under various rocks to go and find them you know yeah we are everywhere it's not difficult you know i started with my friends and my colleagues um and then just people came to me and i mean i was lucky to work for the world's biggest radio gay radio station lgbt radio station so yeah. I was constantly meeting interesting people and saying, you know, yes, I'll interview about your record or your comedy show, but, um, or your theater show, but can you tell me your coming out story as well? This is a little side project I'm doing, you know, and I'm, I'm lucky that they did. So, you know, as well as all the everyday LGBT folk, I've got quite a few celebrities and big names, whether they're big names across the pond, I don't know. Yeah. But... Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've interviewed a couple of, um, RuPaul's Drag Race stars that you'll probably know oh, then. So yeah. Morgan McMichaels and Gia Gunn. Okay. There's certainly, there's certainly, there's a few names that, I'm trying to think of other big names that you might have heard of. No, I think they're all more um, famous in England, maybe. Yeah. So people like Davina DeCampo was in the UK, Drag Race, UK. Yeah. Um, people like Joe Lysertz and um, James Barr, all sort of famous in the UK, but... Yeah. But actually, the point the point of the podcast wasn't to have the famous people. You know, it's good to get them on, isn't it? And it's great oh, yeah. for the profile of your podcast and to get more people listening. You know, for the lesbians, I've got people like Heather Peace and Lucy Spragan, who are, you know, famous lesbian musicians in the UK. So it's great. And people go, oh, I must listen to hers. And then you hope that they enjoy it so much they go back and listen to all the other episodes. Yeah. Um, but it's really about, you know, real stories from real people who just happened to be LGBT and this is what happened to them. Yeah. And that's kind of where the basis of the queer experience has been. Like I, I also started, um, like I'm in an acting troupe where I do murder mystery parties when it's not COVID out. Um, and so I started by just interviewing the people that I am in the troupe with, you know, just like, oh, we've performed together. You're queer. I'm queer. Let's do this. And then I ended up getting people from like uh, Lucas Hassel, he was on elementary, you know? So like I brought him on and the drag queen Peaches Christ, I, I she's big here. I don't know if she's notable across the pond. Um, and it's just every now and then get, you, you get a big name, but I always like going back to like the entertainers I've worked with or, mm-hmm. you know, people who are trying to get their story out there. But as you said, it's good to have that balance to keep yeah. people. <laughs> You know, exactly. Well, I was worried that your podcast was all about thespians. So I was thinking, well, I, I don't perform. I don't, you know, I, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not been on the stage treading the boards as it were. I, I'll admit it originally started as such. Uh, yep. it, it, it originally started as actors, but then now I've had on animators and, you know, people who do audio books and I've had producers. So it's just kind of like, Art, do you entertain people even remotely? Come on in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it is a performance. Being in radio is, you know, it's a performance. You know, you you might wake up feeling absolutely crap. But if you you present a breakfast show, 
bloody hell, you've got to get out there and put your happy face on. Tits and teeth, we used to call it. It's like, <laughs> no matter how depressed you were, it's like, tits out, teeth out, be happy. You've got to, you've got to like motivate other people. So, you know, yeah, it is a performance, put it that way. Yeah. And I actually want to talk about that because I haven't had anyone on who does like radio. Um, so I would love to talk about, you know, your experiences working for, you know, the biggest LGBT plus radio, like out over there and with BBC and stuff. Cause that's, that's fascinating. So what got you into this field? So actually, I used to be a photographer. I've done, I've done, I'm on my third career now, but this is my favorite, I think. It was a promotional copywriter writing adverts. Then I was a photographer. And then someone actually in Manchester found an advert in something called The Pink Paper before it was just online. And it was an advert for um, a little program on BBC Radio Manchester called Gay Talk. And at the time, it was the first LGBT show on FM in the UK. This was in the late 90s, I think. And they wanted volunteers, they wanted LGBT people to help out and be on air. And I thought, oh, that's a bit of me. I'll, you know, I agree. I need to be getting involved with this. So my first work for the BBC was actually as a volunteer because they just wanted more gay people to be on air. So I was taught how to use the equipment, which we're going back so far. It was actual, I was recording things on tape. And oh, wow. to edit the audio, I was using a razor blade and sticking those bits of tape back together again. That's how old school it was. Yeah, I know. Casper's putting his mouth over his hand. Imagine <laughs> having to edit audio that way. It's so bloody time consuming. Wild. Oh, it's totally wild. And the tape recorder was about the size of a giant suitcase as well. I mean, it was just hilarious. Anyway, um, and I just fell in love with going out and interviewing people and making radio, making documentaries and making programs. I knew I wanted to be a broadcast journalist, actually. I wanted to be I want it to be Kate Aidy, if you've ever heard of her. She used to be a big BBC reporter who would get sent out to all the war zones. And, you know, that's, mm -hmm. what, I, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a serious broadcast journalist. So I went and studied. I did a postgrad in broadcast journalism. And then when I was applying for jobs, I was just applying to read the news. And I did do that for years, actually, in commercial stations. Mm -hmm. And then after years of applying, I finally got a job um, reading news um, for BBC Radio Manchester. Then moved into being a producer and then moved into presenting. And it was all sort of organic, really. I never had a career plan or a progression, which is really fucking irritating to people that have always wanted to be radio presenters because I just didn't. I never, yeah. I, never had the, I never had the confidence in my 20s. I was, you know, I never thought, oh, I could be a radio presenter. I want to talk on the radio. I didn't. I just wanted to make documentaries, really, and read the news. Yeah. So I was kind of lucky to be given that opportunity, really, because then when Gadia came along, I went along to the first ever meeting. This would have been about 14 years ago and said, I want to read your news. Who's doing the news? And they were like, well, we haven't really thought about that yet. So I just got involved and just ended up being a reporter on one of the first shows. Yeah. And then the, the guy who'd set it up, a brilliant inspirational guy called Toby Whitehouse, then turned around to me after the first short-term broadcast and said, Emma, I want you to co-present the breakfast show. And I went, are you mad? Why, why do you think I could present a breakfast show? And I had no clue what I was doing. And we basically... Me and my co-presenter, Chris Holiday, someone else who buggered off to America, actually. All my best friends leave me and move to America. <laughs> me and him almost learned on air how to present a breakfast wow. show. You know, it was real basic stuff to begin with. And we were just broadcasting from the library of an LGBT charity in Manchester, just using their office space. Um, and it was real low budget stuff. But, you know, we learned our trade while being on air, basically. <laughs> 
Yeah. Got better at, and hopefully it got a bit better at it. Well, I listened back to some of it. I'm like, oh my God, why are we still talking? Play a record already. Yeah. It's like you go back to like your first episodes and you're like, oh, no, no one listened to this, please. No, this is so, behind us. Yeah, exactly. Well, you, you grow and you learn, don't you? But even when I was yeah. reading news bulletins, I was terrible the first few times I did it. I was like, why am I having to practice live on air with people listening? I'm making all these bloody mistakes, but you know. That's the way it worked out. Yeah, and it, unfortunately, unless you get like a, I don't even know how much of a education one can get in specifically like delivering radio shows, you know, like you can get journalism degrees, but like, do you get tr- training on how to run a radio show? Not how to run a radio show. I mean, my, ours was more tailored, my postgrad was more tailored to broadcast journalism and they were very good actually. This was in a little place near um, in between Leeds and Bradford it was part of Leeds University actually and they linked up with a local community radio station in Bradford and we did their live news bulletins for them so I mean they weren't paying us and thank god because we didn't deserve it because we're all students but we got experience in doing live radio broadcasts um, to doing live bulletins Um, and that's the only way you can sort of practice really just by doing community radio stations hospital radio a lot of people starting um so that's the way people get in and that's the way people practice really yeah start small but aim big (laughs) yeah well i I have a a friend of mine who does um they do journalism out here but they focus more on uh like health news so they've been busy lately um but Mm -hmm. they they do it for a, a local college a university um like they do it through the university's radio uh, which, because it's one of the biggest universities in Florida, it's actually pretty notable. But like you see, you know, little tiny schools like trade schools or um, like smaller schools will also have like their own little personal radios. And like you can listen yeah. to the the journalist people like getting their practice, which is cool. But you, <laughs> I almost feel bad for the people doing it sometimes because you can hear when they're bumping into a hiccup they've never faced before and it's like you got this champ you got it (laughs) from your car yeah and now you know the students have a lot better time of it in terms of there's a lot of great student stations actually oh yeah Yeah. so there's some really good stations out there being run by students and you know there's lots more courses out there than there ever were you know so in terms of that it's great in terms of necessarily getting a job at the end of it not so great that is a totally different (laughs) experience you can get it everywhere pay uh not so much (laughs) i mean same with like podcasts anyone can start a podcast but to make money in it totally different animal well i've still not managed that i have got a couple of powerpoint presentations if any businesses are listening (laughs) but i never actually managed to i mean hilariously we were pitching for advertising for coming out stories podcast just before the pandemic and we we targeted this travel company actually so you know and that didn't work out and it never worked out now would it because no one's got any money to be spending on anything really especially in the travel industry oh yeah no one's really (laughs) at least they shouldn't be no exactly not so we're all vaccined up please stay at home yeah yeah wash your hands Wear a mask, please, for the love of God. Someone, anyone who's listened to my interviews before knows I'm in Florida. I implore you, please. We're a hot spot for a reason. Put on a mask. Oh, my God. I've just got back from the supermarket and there was this couple behind me just without a mask. And they just, you know, when you can't lose someone, it was like, go away. And whenever I went, they were just there behind me. 
Uh, so irritating. It's, it's like, like, how can you not know? You're in a pandemic. Yeah. You almost want to turn around. Are you obsessed with me or what? <laughs> Go away. <laughs> Quote mean girls. I, Why are you so obsessed no. with me? I shouldn't have been in the chocolate and sweetie aisle anyway. So it's my own fault, but yeah, <laughs> they need to get a life. <laughs> Listen, I know I'm super cool, but you need to stay six feet away. Yeah, yeah at <laughs> but, least. But so with uh, kind of rounding back to podcasting, uh, so you being, you know, someone who is queer, who has gotten into um the podcasting scene, you've gotten into like radio journalism and your career has been very focused on queer media. Uh, it's, you know, you sometimes have people who go into it and they are queer, but they don't focus on that sort of mm-hmm. aspect of it, but you very much have. So I'm sure that's led to your experiences being quite different because those you're working with tend to also be focused on queer media. So how has that been for like your personal journey? Well, I mean, certainly working at Gadia, I would agree with you. My career was focused on, you know, being surrounded by queer people. And obviously there's never going to be an issue about coming out. And, you know, you kind of pretty much have to be part of the LGBT community to be on air because that's what we're there to reflect. Right. But um, I wouldn't say it always was, but I think one thing that's really interesting, even when I worked in commercial radio and I was just applying for roles just to um, read the news, and then when I um, worked for the BBC as producer, it was only LGBT people who gave me jobs. Hmm. It's like, um, and there's no way that that is a coincidence or a fluke. It's like, because I always, always, always had the skills. It was just that it was other LGBT people that saw something in me or believed in me or because essentially when you get to interview stage and you've got a load of candidates that are pretty much the, got the, you know the same degrees the same postgrads the same experience it, it comes down to personality and whether you get on with someone right and i'm sure it's the fact that other lgbt people were the managers and went oh great let's get another queer person in the office yeah so i'm sure there's an element i'm sure there's some sort of element in that i'm not saying i only got my job because i was gay um, but it's, there's something going on there, you know, and there are a lot of queer people in the media and certainly in the, in the BBC as well. You know, I was working, yeah. you know, BBC Radio Manchester is fairly, I would say middle of the road in terms of music and in terms of, you know, you're aiming at listeners that are generally maybe 45 years plus. And, but I was always out, you know, and in the end that did me a power of good because presenters that hide their sexuality because they think the listeners don't want to hear it don't think do as well i think being a presenter is all about being human and being yourself yeah. so shielding your sexuality is never a good idea or your gender identity or whatever it is is never a good idea you've got to give your all to the listeners really yeah um, so yeah but i wouldn't say my career has been totally just working at lgbt media i worked for prison radio as well for huh. a number of years so i, I set up the world not the world's the uk's first radio station in a women's prison so I also worked for that organization oh. for quite a few years. That was absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Um, and having said that, there are quite a, a lot of um, L's and B's in the um, female prison system, for sure. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's another whole podcast or interview or um, <laughs> series. Certainly compared, certainly compared to the men's prisons where everyone's, you know, frightened to be out in the women's prisons. There's a lot of out lesbians. Yeah. And I actually am like curious about your time with um, like kind of 
your experience with coming out. So you've been out and I, mm-hmm. I, 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 I do agree with you. Um, there was actually a, um, a, a video essay that I listened to where it talked about things like radio personalities and television personalities and now like online personalities where there's this sense of authenticity between the viewer, the consumer and the host. And it's kind of like, you feel like you're friends with this person, even though you've never met them. And that's part of the appeal of these sort of like shows and uh, programs. And so like, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with being authentic is going to feed into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to ask about your, your coming out story. Like when you yeah. came out and started being out and proud and open. And I mean, I should say first started coming out because- First started, yeah. Cause we all know we have hundreds of coming outs, don't we? You know, you do yeah. it pretty much. Every time you step out the front door, which isn't so much in COVID, but you know what I mean. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, so unusually, in fact, I think I'm the only person that knows this. The exact date I realized that I was gay was huh. the 20, 26th of January, 1989. And hmm. I know this because literally the day before I thought I was completely straight, even though I never really had had boyfriends. I was 17 at the time, actually. And I just met a girl and fell absolutely head over heels in love with her and wanted to touch her and do things to her. And I thought, what, what on earth is going on here? This isn't, this isn't right. And I beat myself up about it massively. I just thought I'm not normal, I'm perverted, all the negative thoughts and stereotypical ideas that I threw at myself. I was wretched, with, filled with gay shame. It was ridiculous. But then you have to remember as well, you know, people still feel this today, but this was the yeah. 1980s. There were no out lesbians that I knew of apart from Martina Navratilova. Yeah. You know, they just weren't people. They were gay men out, people like Boy George and Andy Bell from Erosia. But there, there weren't really many gay icons who were out and proud in the 1980s they were few and far between really so I did hide it I hid it for um the rest of my last school year really I did end up having a love affair with this woman who she she then finished it with me after nine months and broke my heart but and it was that that led me coming out really I was kind of kicked out the closet rather than came out and decided because um I was very upset very morose proper teenage broken heart first time I had my heart broken you know there can't be anything more dramatic than that can there than a teenager with a broken heart oh yeah (laughs) I was I was a nightmare so anyway so my dad eventually just like dragged me into his bedroom sat me down and went what the hell is wrong with you and then went through the list of parental nightmares and said you know are you on drugs are you pregnant or are you a lesbian (laughs) (laughs) and I still was so scared I just went Yes, one of them. <laughs> but he knew, he knew exactly. So, and he was, he was fine. And, and it still took him, well, he gave me a hug and told me he still loved me anyway, but it still took him a couple of years to fully come to terms with it, I think. I think yeah. yeah. You know, being our family, we sort of like had a hug, had a cry, and then went to the pub and drank beer. But um, that's what British people do. <laughs> yeah. Feelings? Uh, they're there. <laughs> Let's go to the pub and get the pints in. Yeah. Um, but no, they're absolutely fine. And my parents are amazing. And, you know, that, that, that was my first initial coming out. And then eventually um, I told, told friends and, that, you know, I was lucky. You know, I'd chosen the right friends for a reason. And they were thoroughly bored by the news because at the end of the day, it is quite boring. At the end of the day, you don't really want to know who your friends, 
you don't want to know intimate details about your friend's sex life, do you? Yeah. So you're just like, oh, right, okay, they're going to date girls. Okay, fair enough. Not interested. Move on. Yeah. So that's that's the kind of response I've had ever since, which is great, which is the best response you want. It's a, it's a non... It's not of interest, is it really? Your friends want... You, what you want from your friends is for them to care about you and make sure you're happy. So they don't care whether... They shouldn't, they shouldn't care whether you're dating a man or a woman or, or what your gender identity is. They shouldn't, it's not really their business as long as you're happy. That's their business. Yeah. Like as long as you're dating someone who treats you well, you know, mm-hmm. and if like, if you're someone who doesn't date people, are you happy? Cool. Like just as long as you are, you know, living your best life. And, you know, sometimes it's a relief to get a, 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 mundane or like a a, a quote unquote you listeners can't see the air quotes I'm making but the boring (laughs) coming out stories because it's like less trauma on the person who came out um and as someone who grew up in a southeastern uh united states with the uh brick baptist churches and the all that it was not as boring. Um, you hear the religious American homophobic stories, and yes, uh, but that's kind of the great thing about the world that we're in is that there are so many ways for people to live their most authentic selves, and you can always find communities, and you can always be surprised when you have already found a community not realizing that they were going to be so accepting. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what I've discovered through, through the podcast and through the book coming out stories, you yeah. know, that, you know, I have interviewed people who have had uh, one guy who had a Baptist pastor as his father. So as you can sadly imagine, they do not speak anymore. He has lost mm. his entire family. I've spoken to a few people who have been rejected by their families or, you know, the te- family's taken a long time to come round and they don't particularly talk anymore. And people do, and, and this is the, if there's one takeaway from the podcast and all these stories I've collected, is that things do get better and people do find their own families. You know, if worst case scenario, they are rejected by the family, they find their own queer family. Yeah. They find what Armistead Morper refers to as their logical family. Yeah. You know, they don't need, need, need their biological family. You know, the LGBT community does exist and people find their way and people do support each other. I mean, yeah, we don't support each other enough. And we're a bit fractious sometimes. Yeah. But but people, you know, people find their tribe, don't they? Oh, yeah. People move cities and find where the gay clubs are and find where the community groups are, whatever it is that they want. And they get on with it and they are welcomed with open arms. Yeah. And that's also another beautiful thing about the internet nowadays is, you know, like when I was living up in, you know, uh, middle of nowhere Indiana and that not uh, one of the only things that saving grace is when I came out uh, I went to my mom and I, I can't tell you the day I realized I was queer but I can tell you when I realized I was queer uh, I was watching the second Resident Evil film with Mia Jovovich as the main protagonist as the heroine and I was living as a woman and presented as a woman and I saw her killing zombies and I was like oh oh I like girls too Oh, she's really pretty. And so I, I told my mom and my mom looked at the TV and looked at me and she was like, yeah, me too. And I was like, 
So I came out to my mom and then she came out to me right back. <laughs> well, Casper, you absolutely, I was going to say this to you previously anyway, you absolutely have to be on my podcast as well. You'll have to return the favor because, I'm, you know, we need, we need this story. It needs to be out in the world. I would be more than happy to, honestly, because there's been a lot of uh, twists and turns like any good story, I feel. Mm. Uh, and my my dad went from being, he was actually training to be a Baptist priest, uh, but then had a character arc. Now he's covered in tattoos, makes horror films and practices witchcraft. I don't know what happened to my dad. <laughs> um, but Love like- your family. My family's a doozy, that's for sure. Um, but uh, but when I came out, the sa- the main saving grace was like the internet. That's how I met my wife. We met online, um, and I packed my bags, moved like twelve hours away, um, and now I've got this like little queer commune here because of the internet, because of conventions and live events, and you 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 find your flock. Yeah, no, you absolutely do. And that's interesting. When I've spoken to a few people, like the, one of the people in the book is a, a working class gas fitter from Salford, who you mm. would imagine to be, you know, very macho and binary and absolutely not the case, identifies as being gender fluid okay. and didn't really understand. It didn't really have anyone, any role models or people in their community that they could talk to about it, but absolutely found a community online and, you know, just started dressing as both like male and female and presenting as both and putting all these pictures online and initially getting so much support. And I think they've got about 80,000 followers on Twitter now. Wow. Um, and they've said, and other people I've spoken to have said, you know, I don't know because you actually hear a lot of negative things about Twitter and that for sure is out there, but I've definitely interviewed a couple of people who've said, you know, I, I, ha- I wouldn't have a community without Twitter. And I no. didn't know about all these things, all these places that we could go or, you know, or I found makeup artists so I can go who can help me present more as a woman. And, you know, I've really got this community now and I understand more who I am. Yeah, so it's been it's been incredible, actually. Oh, yeah. And you also have so many like uh, YouTube channels where that you have people who are trans who vlog their transition or you have uh, I I stumbled into the. Um, long distance relationship vloggers who were typically lesbians um, who would be like one, uh, who would be like one would live in the UK and then one would live in like Arizona US and they would like vlog their long distance relationship and it was so it was kind of different than seeing those fictional characters you see on TV because it's like these are real people that are like me and you can also it, it's it's that's why representation, whether it's fictional characters or real stories, is so important. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. You need to send me some of these links because I'm far too old to be like the YouTube generation, so I don't really spend much time on YouTube. But I feel like I'm missing out. I don't know where to start with YouTube. It scares me a bit. I got you. I got you. Uh, I'll send you some some personal favorites. Okay. <laughs> Maybe my young person advisor. <laughs> <laughs> you it's like oh I need to deal with the fellow youth hi Casper <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, God. well that makes oh. me sound about 100 but I do turn 50 this year so are you serious I am yeah. literally half your age I just turned 25 in December <laughs> Woo! <laughs> hey, we're at personal milestones together <laughs> yes 
but oh, wow be 25 again yeah uh, it's it's it doesn't feel real i think it's mostly that uh no birthdays ever really feel real anymore i'm just like oh it's it's my birthday uh and now it's just covid so it's like is anything does anything count uh well, no most i've seen a lot of people on um, facebook and twitter saying actually this year doesn't count 2020 we're scrapping because no one got to go anywhere celebrate a birthday do anything so actually i'm probably going to be 49 again <laughs> take, take two <laughs> yeah. let's uh, try this year again that one was terrible yeah and uh I, I i i'll admit i don't know how things are going in uh england the u.s has not exactly had the best start so i'm thinking that we could just try again in 2022 <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But things aren't going great here we've had yeah. very bad mismanagement of the uh, crisis we've got the highest death toll per capita Oh. We just literally last week went over 100,000 deaths. Oh that might God. not be as many as you, but because of the size of the country, you know, percentage wise, it's worse. Yeah. Oh, no. I was about to say we, we, we have higher numbers, but we're a bigger country. So like, yeah, yeah. yeah like that makes sense. That's still still way too many people. Uh, if yeah, you... <laughs> it's, it's horrific. It's, it's really I think a lot of people have been really demoralized and depressed in the last week because we've hit that 100,000 yeah. figure. So, yeah. Um, well, a, a thing that I would like to talk about, which could bring some more light into it, is your upcoming book. That's exciting. Yeah. Let me just get it out and hold it so you can see how sexy it looks. I mean, Ooh. they say don't judge a book by its cover, but that is pretty sexy. That's a it? sexy book. I, I I like that. It is. And the spine is a rainbow. So, you know, yes. if, it, if you were ever allowed to go in bookshops again, you'd be able to spot it by the rainbow that is down the spine. It says coming out stories. So, yeah. Like, oh, is this a I'm gay absolutely... book? I think I think it's a gay book. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a gay book. I need it in my life. Yeah, I'm absolutely thrilled with the way it's turned out. The publishers, Jessica Kingsley, have just done such a good job. And, I mean, they approached us and said, we've always wanted to do a compilation of coming out stories from real people in the community. Um, yeah. And look, you've done all the hard work already. Would you like to use all your stories and make a book out of it? And we said, absolutely. So we'd already done all the interviews. Then it was a case of narrowing it down and deciding our favorite. There's 27 in the book in the end, um, including my own. So you can hear more details of mm -hmm. um, my dad quizzing me on his bed about my sexuality. <laughs> uh, and then 27 other people, you know, and we've tried to get a real mixture. So the guy that I, Sorry, the person that I just mentioned then, the working class gas fitter from Salford, who's gender fluid, they're in it. We've got a non-binary person in it. We've mm. got a Latino gay guy growing up in Los Angeles. We've got a lesbian who grew up in like a care home in Ireland who was threatened oh, wow. with a lobotomy. We've got Ooh. a real mixture of trans men, trans women, people from all over the, well, not all over the globe it's mainly america and the uk but from all different backgrounds so even got yeah. someone in the uk who's grew up in trinidad um we've got a complete mixture we've got rastafarians we've got muslim people we've got baptists got i tried to really spread the net as wide as possible so i could be as reflective as possible yeah of the lgbt plus community yeah and hopefully we've done that yeah yeah that's the and idea and then in between each story we then have got little quotes from celebrities as well so just well-known well-known people just like literally two or three sentences um yeah. from well-known people about tips on coming out so oh, that's exciting it is it's really cool yeah really and good. when is this book coming out it's out it was, it's oh. only been out a week so it's brand new hot off the shelves <laughs> so unfortunately i can't do a proper 
proper book tour because all the bookshops are shut, but you can order online from your local bookshop or from the big boys. Um, and hopefully we're going to be doing some online virtual events because that's what it's all about now, isn't it, really? Yeah. So Q&A's online and, you know, get a few exciting people along and um, launch it that way. So watch this space. Yeah. Well, if you follow the Queer Thesperience on Twitter, we'll be we'll sure to like retweet it and like help promote that. And uh, anywhere in the episode notes and wherever you're listening to this episode, I will drop a link to uh, the book in the description so that listeners can go directly through us to find the book. Fantastic. Oh, Casper, you're an absolute sweetheart, aren't you? I got you. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> I know how this works. <laughs> oh, you're good. Oh, you're good. And like most Americans, you've got really good teeth as well. <laughs> I try, even if my dental bills are, I think last time I went to the dentist, they were asking for $20,000. Um, how do Americans afford to eat? I, uh, I just don't know how, you, you guys must all have to work so hard to earn all this money for healthcare and dentistry. My wife used to work three jobs. <laughs> Um, yeah. And, uh, now she has a full-time gig with benefits. So she's clinging to it. You know, she's like this. Mm. Um, I, since I work freelance, uh, not freelance, uh, commission, uh, not commission, try that again, contract. There we go. That's the word. Uh, I, I don't get benefits. So I just brush my teeth like three times a day and pray. <laughs> Good work. Yeah. But uh, no, and it's especially as you said with digital events, it's, I think before COVID, things were already kind of leaning towards a lot more digital stuff because it can be worldwide. And then COVID forced that hand of, no, you yeah. have to do digital now. Yeah, and I think that will continue, actually, because I think companies have realised, you know, how much money can they save by not sending everybody on a train or a plane to another country even and paying for hotels and doing big conferences and doing big events like that. I think yeah, there'll yeah. still be a need for that. Right. But, you know, there's going to be a lot of cost cutting and realising, well, look, we survived during COVID. Why don't we just do this event online? Yeah. yeah. Or it's like, you know, how much money can you save if you close down? It's like, oh, we had an office but everyone did really well working remotely. We wouldn't have to pay rent on this office. You know, it's like, I'm, you're probably gonna see stuff like that too. Which is why, and it's, it's happening here in the UK and I spoke to my friend who lives in Connecticut and the same thing's happening there. People are not buying up properties in city centers anymore. They're buying up places in the countryside because they know they can yeah. work there. Yeah. You know? So price, if you live in the middle of nowhere, you find your prices going up. Yeah. City centers are gonna be, different places i think in the future people oh, don't yeah. have to live in them or work in them yeah and like i uh i've become really philosophical now haven't we we're not even talking about my podcast or my book i'm talking about all sorts of shies we're having fun i think that's what matters you know <laughs> and like as i said before we recorded i just uh, chatting you know my i always the goal is always if we have a good time recording it it'll be fun to listen to you know let's hope so let's say you'd have to edit it all out me waffling on sorry i can talk for britain <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what if nothing else it fills the time uh <laughs> so yeah no um but i would like to circle back around uh mm. before we kind of start to wrap up a bit um a question that i always like to ask my guests uh is if you had advice especially because you're someone who has heard so many stories um mm. if you had advice to give to someone about like 
trying to find their community, trying to, you know, find their, their logical family um, while on this journey of self-authenticity. Uh, what advice would you give to any of our listeners who might kind of be dealing with that right now? Okay, that's interesting. Because, yeah, most people ask me for just advice on coming out, but that's a different question, isn't it? So, I mean, what I would say is be thankful that we are in the internet age and just go back to what we were talking about. And actually, before you actually have to verbalize it or say it to anybody you know go and find your tribe go and find some people that can help you online and there are so many organizations I mean I've just been talking about this on a local radio station in Manchester actually earlier today and you know for example in the UK there's a brilliant organization called Mermaid so we're there for trans and non-binary kids or young people and their families and you know if you're someone that's going through that journey and questioning your gender identity they'd be a brilliant first portal call to go and talk to and they can then help you know perhaps help you come out and perhaps talk to your family and explain it a bit more or help you come to terms with it as well there's also the lgbt foundation and i know i can't speak for what organizations there are in america because i don't know yeah i know um my friend i've just mentioned who works in connecticut works and volunteers for the trevor project who yeah. are an amazing charity based in new york and, you know, he works on the helpline and now he does mm -hmm. it from his room. So there are people, there are queer people that you can talk to if you feel like you don't just want an email or just advice that way. There are helplines out there where real pe queer people in their bedrooms are willing and volunteering to talk to other queer people who are coming to terms with it. So go there first because you know that they are there to help you and you know that they've walked the walk. They're not yeah. just talking to talk. These are older LGBT people who've been there and done it, you know, and come out and are living happy, proud lives and then want to give back. So go and find those organizations and, you know, do that first before you even tell anyone. I mean, probably the best idea is usually people tell their friends first before they tell family, because you hope that you would choose your friends and right. choose them wisely. And you've got the same ideologies and the same way of thinking, whereas you may not have the same way of thinking as your parents or your siblings. You might not yeah so yeah really really have a good old go on the search engines and look at what organizations are out there and even if they are hundreds of miles away you know that's not stopping you nowadays you, you can do a, a zoom call with people you can get in touch with them digitally it's actually a lot easier be thankful you're not growing up in the 1960s in the uk where it was you know illegal yeah illegal mm -hmm. you could be put in prison you know or yeah. being gay yeah. yeah. And it's, it's times are changing. Uh, and it's, it's a slow and steady change and we have a long way to go. Oh, for sure. But it's, it's gotten, if nothing else, it's gotten easier to connect. It's gotten easier to find community. Um, and there's, I mean, there's also just hashtags on Twitter and Instagram that are specifically used by queer people that you can use to find other queer people. Like it's, it's so, I think it's very important, as you said, to find your community uh, and the digital age has made it all that much easier. Oh yeah, absolutely. In the old days, we used to have to go out and go to the news agents and buy gay publications and then risk and then hide them under the bed and risk your parents finding them you know it was it was definitely a lot harder it was definitely a lot more difficult to find that tribe yeah um but i, I appreciate it still which is the whole point of the podcast and the book coming out stories it's still not easy to come out now oh no it's still difficult you know in 2021 in the uk and in the us you know yeah. there are real barriers to coming out and to being accepted yeah. And, you know, as, as we uh, said towards the beginning of this, 
you never stop coming out. You come out, whether it's a, you know, sexuality and gender can be very fluid. You know, I have used mm-hmm. so many different labels and have had to come out multiple times or with the simple fact of you meet someone new who makes the assumption that you are, you know, not queer. And it's like, oh, this, and it's like, well, actually, uh, no, uh, I'll do respect. Nah, <laughs> like, you know, so, and or you start a new job, you see a new doctor and it's just, it, it's constant. constant. Exactly. I've got a brilliant quote from the book, which I'm just going to read you quickly because it's one of the short ones from someone that's in the public eye. You won't have heard of her. Her net, well, you may have done, I don't know. Her name is Carrie Lyle. She's the editor of Diva magazine, which is a lesbian publication in the UK. Okay. And she sums this up brilliantly. I think the fact that you come out so many times. So she says, the first time I came out, I did it drunkenly. The second time it was anxiously. The third time I felt sick to my stomach. 20 years on, I'm still coming out every day, but the moments hardly register. Now, most of the time, it's as if I'm blinking. And I think that's beautifully put. Yeah. It just shows that journey that we all have. Like, you just feel so ill at the thought of coming out, don't you? Mm -hmm. And then the more you do it, the easier it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's just with practice. And also, we're kind of coming into an age where it's a little less... uh, you know, when I came out as trans, when I first started working for the acting company I work for, I, I, I came out during my first interview with them because I was like, if I can't be myself, I refuse. And I was sweating, like I drenched my shirt and I felt sick. And the woman who was interviewing me was, okay, so I assume that means you don't use the name that was on your resume, right? And I'm like, no. And she's like, okay. And then she just made note and told everyone else and it was like I was expecting for the call to end there and then I got hired so it was like this wild like yeah yeah and so it's 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 great that we're kind of coming to a bit of a a bit of a more accepting uh situation in different parts of the world are are starting to get more progressive Um, and it doesn't have to be that big dramatic moment does it you know you can just drop it into conversation oh what did you do this weekend oh you know me and my girlfriend went for a walk to this beach or you know what I mean you just drop it in and then start talking about the other thing and then you've just dropped it in conversation it doesn't have to be a massive you know water cooler moment does it in the work yeah it can just be yeah whatever I did this from a girlfriend yeah yeah and if you kind of treat it as a whatever this is me like this is then it, it helps normalize it you know, just normalizes being yourself, which I think is very important for everyone exactly. to do. Exactly. Oh, absolutely. And the more people come out, I'm not, I never encourage people to come out because you can only do it at your pace and when the time's right. But all I will say is everyone I've spoken to feels so much happier and so much more content once they've done it because that buildup is so damaging to your mental health and just pushes the anxiety levels through the roof. Every, every single person feels happier once they've done it. Oh, that yeah. doesn't mean you should rush it, but I'm just saying there is light at the end of the tunnel if you're going through it. Yeah, and like definitely, you know, figuring out who it's, you know, I, I, the advice you gave is kind of like figuring out who you feel it is safest to come out to. Because, you know, I know some people who came out to family first because they knew their family would be okay with it, you know? So it's kind of figuring out where mm-hmm. your safety nets are and... Yes doing that but uh thank you so much for coming on emma this has been a lot of fun uh it's been a pleasure yeah really quick before we wrap up where can our listeners find you like you your podcast where can they check you out okay so i'm at emma goswell on twitter 
I think I'm the Goswell on Instagram, but I'm too old to post very much. So that's not very interesting. Um, and my podcast, Coming Out Stories, is available pretty much wherever you get your podcast from. I usually listen on Spotify, but wherever you get your podcast from, you should find it. Um, and the book is out in all good bookstores, Coming Out Stories, edited by me, Emma Goswell, and my co-editor, Sam Walker. Um, and hopefully you'll spot it by the um, brilliant rainbow design on the front and the spine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will put all the links to all those goodies uh, in the episode description. So you can just like scroll down a little bit and see the links. Uh, now it's our turn. Uh, you can find the Queer Thesperience on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, Twitter is just Thesperience, a play on thespian and experience. Uh you can find us for updates where we post about upcoming interviews. We share casting calls for queer projects. We promote other queer projects. Uh, you can also find our other pro our other podcasts, our sister podcasts. Uh, we have Midnight Margaritas, where myself and another trans witch get sloshed while talking about paganism. Uh, and it's a spirited monthly podcast, but I'm um, ching. And there is also the Midwestern Gothic horror comedy audio drama, jar of rebuke which if you are listening to this uh it is about to build up for its season two it is a queer heavy cast crew and character roster so be sure to tune in if you like to get some queer horror into your ears wherever you get your podcasts and remember all the world's a stage so be sure to give them one heck of a show this has been casper oliver joined by emma and we are now signing off Bye bye Adios. <laughs>